This week's episode contains mentions of suicide. Nothing graphic, of course, but it could be triggering for some listeners. It's okay if you need to skip this one. Do what's right for you. This is Unsilent, a speak series from No Stigmas that champions mental health advocacy and challenges the stigmas that prevent people from getting the help they need. I'm Eli Lawson, a producer for the show. This week, No Stigmas founder, Jacob Moore, will have a conversation with Jamie, a dancer, actor, and upcoming filmmaker. We'll hear about Jamie's early battles with intrusive OCD thoughts, how it was difficult for her to speak out, and how it almost ended up costing Jamie her life. But we'll also learn the importance of sharing your story and the incredible effect acceptance can have on reshaping your life. Thank you for being here. If you want to learn more or contact us, visit nostigmas.org. Don't face it alone. Be unsilent. Jamie McPeak, how's it going? (laughs) It's going well. It's going well. Staying busy. How about you? Good. You know what? I'm uh, I'm loving life, man. I'm... uh, (laughs) going to be a, a dad in the spring. And so that is just like, so exciting. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. It's something that we um, like just now started uh, like publicly announced. Um, so it's like now like the biggest thing in my life. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So yes. do you know what you're yeah. having? No, we are specifically not finding out. Um, yeah. I want to be surprised. This is like, we're like, there's so few like real true surprises in life and mm-hmm. like, let's be surprised, you know, or like, like good surprises, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you have a car accident. Like that's not, a, that's not a fun surprise, but yeah. it's like, you know, this is like a fun surprise. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So happy for you. Thanks. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a challenge. Um, my wife had um, actually two miscarriages. Um, we we kind of went through that loss um, uh, over the last um, you know year and a half or so, and um, so like getting to this point in um, in the process and in the pregnancy is just like okay, this feels good and positive and yeah, yeah, like Aww. okay, it's gonna happen. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Um, so for, for those of, of you who are, are listening in and not able to see Jamie, um, she has this really rad sweatshirt on that says dance university. Um, (laughs) what, tell us about this, tell us about your dance. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a professional dancer. Um, I currently live in Florida, so I perform at all the theme parks here in Florida. Well, not all of them, but most of them. Really? Yeah. I didn't know you did that. That's awesome. Yeah, I've worked, I've danced at Busch Gardens. I've uh, worked at Universal, uh, Zoo Tampa, Florida Aquarium, all that stuff. I haven't done Disney yet, which is why I didn't say all of them. Um, that is super awesome. I, um, I, this is like, I got a shout out to my buddy, Paul Rico, who is a performer at Disney in uh, California. And oh. uh, he has a, a super rad podcast um, that uh, <laughs> is like, um, it's just like they, he and his partner talk about um, like all things like esoteric and macabre and woo woo. And it's like, it's really funny. Um, and it's, it's really rad. But anyway, he performs at Disney. And so I was just like, 
it's, yeah. it's like a different world, right? Yeah. Like, what, what is that like working at at theme parks and being there, like entertaining people and kids and things like that? A lot of hard work, but I mean, I love, I genuinely love every second of it. Like performing for me is what I use as an outlet for literally anything. And mm -hmm. when I'm performing, it's literally like nothing else in the world matters. And I'm just able to be present and in the moment and happy and a lot, like truly alive. Like performing for me give, gives me that. I did a contract up in Minnesota uh, in Valley at Valley Fair, which is one of the mm. Cedar Fair parks. Yeah. And I just did that a couple months ago. And so I was up there. I got, you know, housed and everything and that was probably one of the best times of my life we did a whole we did um a five hour long show and then a whole parade and it was just like the best time ever honestly that's yeah. amazing um i i i secretly nerd out on that stuff and um so i grew up going to cedar point um, okay. which is in uh, sandusky ohio yeah um, and it's like i mean the self-proclaimed roller coaster capital of the world yes. um you know so i grew up going there and it was just like this amazing um world of like like escape right mm -hmm. um and and i think that's what i love so much about it or like going to universal and you know going to harry potter world it's like mm -hmm. it's this other universe um it really where is. you get to like escape and like, I know you had um, a lot of challenges as, you know, a young person, um, you know, so, so did I. And, and I think like for me, having that like place to escape and be just like be and not have to like be in your stuff, like be in the, the crap and the trauma and that kind of stuff um, was like a great healthy escape. With, do you exactly. does that like resonate with you at all oh absolutely yeah, yeah that's how that's how i like survived my teenage years <laughs> i um i started doing well i started dancing at age five but i started doing like shows at age 15 mm. and uh the first show i was in was called catch me if you can i'm sure you've heard of it yeah that's awesome yeah. I was one of uh, eight dancers in that show and that was Frank like my Abignale, right yes yes frank Abignale. um it was such such a fun show and that was kind of like my first taste of you know like because i would go to school and then i would come home just to get ready for the show and then do the show and that was like wow. my first taste of how just performing in front of a live audience because we had sold out crowds every night and mm -hmm. entertaining and making people happy, but then also making myself happy and spreading my passion onto others yeah. and just the feeling of truly being invincible. That was like my first taste of it. And then I performed, uh, I performed all kinds of shows. Like I did Sweet Charity. I did Bullets Over Broadway. I did um, Into the Woods. Like I did a bunch, you know, throughout. Oh, wow throughout my um, like high school, high school years. And then at age 16, I got my, wait, yeah, no, at age 16, I did get my first professional dancing job, but then it wasn't until like age 18 when I could start applying to theme parks. I started going into the theme parks and 
yeah. all that. So now I just do a now I just do a bunch with performing, but performing definitely for me is a completely different world, and it's a chance for me to kind of just like like you said, like escape all the excess stuff and just focus. Yeah, like, because yeah. for me, performing, I can just focus on that and focus on you know the audience, focus on my other castmates, focus on the mm -hmm. atmosphere, the lights, the moves and everything. And it just, it provides yeah. such an amazing outlet for me in every it's, way. It's like, um, it's like mindfulness, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you have to be present. present. You have to be in it. Like in order to be a true performer, a true artist, whether, you know, whatever, whatever medium, you know, you're working in, it's like in order to excel, in order to be a professional, like you have to be present yeah and if you're there if you're truly there then you can't you can't be anywhere else right you're not in your trauma you're not in your you know the the bad you know difficult things that you're experiencing you're not in that like shame and you know whatever whatever else those feelings might be because you like you have to be there yeah exactly exactly so it's almost kind of like i guess like I guess it's the term for like meditation where you just focus. Mm -hmm. I guess it's like a form of meditation for me. So yeah. yeah, I, cause one of my biggest things growing up and even to this day is it's really hard for me to stay in the present moment because I'm constantly yeah. like my brain's constantly go, 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 go. Um, yeah. And performing has been like the one thing where when I do it, I am present and I don't even have to think about it. I'm just present, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're not alone in that. That's, um, has been a huge challenge for me too. like always being future oriented or, mm -hmm. you know, feeling like I'm like out of place or out of time. Um, you know, I have like whole swaths of my childhood that like, I don't remember, you know, mm -hmm. people will be like, dude, like you did this wild thing. Or like, do you remember this, this weird thing or that thing that you said? And I'm just like, nope, I, I don't. I don't, I don't remember, you know, like I connect with face on Facebook with people that I went to high school with and mm -hmm. they're just like, you were, you were like so wild or you were so this or that. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's kind of, um, it out. and that's just like, that's just a result of having those experiences. Right. Yeah. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit about um, what, your experiences were because this is like simultaneously as you're like being a, a dancing and performing and like becoming a professional dancer um you're also dealing with some like pretty heavy stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're like <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that <laughs> part <laughs> yeah um i've been through a lot <laughs> in my in my 22 years on this earth yeah. Um, uh, I, let's see, I, ever since, ever since I could even like start like thinking. So age four is when my mom noticed that I had very bad obsessive compulsive tendencies. Mm -hmm. Um, and even like the very, like for some of the first memories that I remember, uh, it started like I would be in stores and I get, I was like four or five years old and my mom said I could get a toy and I couldn't, rem I couldn't um, decide which toy to get. And the decision between toy A or toy B was so 
detrimental to me that I just broke. I mean, I broke down. I say broke down. Like you would think I was getting like, I don't even, I don't even have an analogy for it, but it got to the point where like, I would just actually, I was like five and I would just like want to die because I could not think, I could not decide which toy to get. And I mean, that's like, that's heavy, right? Like It was so intense. Um, Wow. It was so intense. And then it kind of started morphing into compulsions where I'd have to like touch things a certain amount of times. Um, when I was younger, it was very compulsion based. And then it, I grew up and it turned more into obsessive. But um, I got, my mom has OCD. So my mom recognized like the signs, like I said, when I was four. And then I got diagnosed at seven with obsessive compulsive disorder. And then as I started growing up and started, so I was in what's seven, you're in what, first grade? Yeah, first grade. So all of elementary school, middle school, high school, um, the obsessiveness started really killing me. Um, just constantly, I mean, I obsessed about, uh, OCD is interesting because sometimes when people have OCD, it's very targeted around one thing. I mean, obviously the stereotypical one is germs, which mine is nothing to do with germs or cleanliness or tidiness. Um, Other people's sometimes it's paranoia Other people are listening in on them. Um, And, you know, it it could be like certain things with mine. It was all over. I would literally obsess about anything and everything. It like, it did not matter. It could be any topic. So, I mean, I grew up with just bizarre, bizarre, bizarre thoughts. And I just remember, I remember I would just start crying because I didn't understand why I was thinking this way and I couldn't rationalize my thoughts and I didn't want to think these thoughts and I didn't understand why I was thinking these thoughts and why I couldn't get rid of these thoughts. And it was getting so bad to where I was having such bad breakdowns at school that my mom actually thought I was getting bullied. Um, because I did not want to leave her because she was my safety blanket. And, um, and then when I told her that I wasn't getting bullied, well, I, externally, I wasn't getting bullied. Um, you know, she was then realizing how severe it was. Cause I just, it was just to the point where I really could not even, I mean, I was just so miserable and I, I actually became, and I don't say this lightly, I genuinely became suicidal at age 10. Wow. Yeah, I was really young and that's I, like that that like young age like during like developmental years when you're just trying to like understand who you are and yeah. what you are and make sense of the world um like what was your what was your view of yourself during that time like getting those experiences did you know that that was like um different than other kids or that it was like disruptive? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I did because trying to think age 10, you're in what, like fourth, fourthish grade. Yeah. So I had, um, one of my best friends at the time, you know, I knew, I knew that they didn't think the way I did it. They didn't, um, I, I, I just, you know, just from hanging out with them and stuff, I always, even though I was always, I always grew up very popular. Um, I always felt like the outcast in my own head because, yeah. you know, I just, my thoughts were so bizarre and irrational. Um, and I remember being like jealous of them. They didn't have to, you know, 
think the way I did. I mean, I know everyone goes through different things, but um, I was, it was, yeah, I was a mess. Um, That's wild. Did you, <laughs> you mentioned bullying, though. Did you ever feel that from other people? Did you ever feel stigmas from other people? I didn't open up about my OCD or anything until later in life. Um, the only time I actually, like, did was in third, third? third, third grade, where it got so bad to the point where I could not leave my mom. I just couldn't because again, she was the one who rationalized it and talked me through everything. I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for her. She's the one who, who literally helped me through every single attack that I've ever had. And to this day, like, um, and I got, we have that in common, by the way, like my, I attribute like me being here, not just like literally being born but like being <laughs> here um not dead by by suicide because of of my mom you know yeah she, and that's so important saved me you know yeah and that's why i realized too about ever since i've opened up about it is that a lot of people don't have that and yeah gosh my heart goes out to anyone who doesn't have that support system yeah yeah it's like a lot of very like very fortunate to have just someone like yeah. a person you know exactly. but sorry you were talking about um yeah fourth grade and yeah and it, it just got to the point where and this this broke her heart she still remembers this like it was yesterday she would drop me off at school and i would start to walk to class and then i would literally run back to her the car and beg her not to leave me oh, and she said man. that was one of the most heartbreaking things she ever had to do because obviously i had to go to school um, and, and then I just, and then one of the, one of the, my, you know, friends at the time said something, cause I would, I would cry in class like all the time. And she would just said like, you're getting really annoying. And I was just like, thanks. Thanks. Oh, so wow. like, <laughs> like, I mean, I know, I know I am, trust me, I'm annoying myself too. Um, yeah. So so then let's see, elementary school went by and yes, I, I knew I was different. And then middle school, or I would say middle school is when it was, middle school was about 10 times worse than that because middle school now I'm age, what, 11 through 14. And I started, you know, growing up mentally and that's, a no, it was high school I started performing. I was, I was dancing though throughout all of this and dance was always, again, I would go to dance and I would feel so much better. Um, middle school is when I would actually like, I would go through my classes. I was in a gifted program. So I was like mixed in with, you know, sixth, seventh and eighth graders and everything. And I would go into the bathroom for like 20 minutes at a time, hysterically crying, breaking down, calling my mom from the bathrooms. And that was like a daily thing. And it got to the point where my teacher pulled me aside and was like, is everything okay? Because you're going missing for like half the class. Wow. And that's when I told her what had been happening. And she was so nice and told me, you know, if I, you know, that I can have my phone out in class to text my mom, because, you know, you couldn't have your phones out in class. Sure. Um, so I, ha I would have to go into the bathroom and, you know, do my thing, do my thing in there with calling her and texting her. But she let me have my phone out and that was great. But yeah, middle school was rough because that's when like the. It was just so, and again, I can't like pinpoint a certain thought because it was just so many of them. 
And it was just random breakdowns for no reason at times. And then also in middle school, I became anorexic, which is really young <laughs> to become anorexic. But then it was breaking down because of food or my body. And it, it was, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot, a lot, a lot. For and sure. And <laughs> I just, I just want to mention real quick. Um, yeah. You just, you were just like, yeah, this stuff was happening for no reason. I'm like, no, like you're, you're not breaking down for no reason, right? You're not acting out for no reason. It's because oh. of what you're living with. It's not just yeah. like randomly happening to you. Um, it's I'm, more like, meant, I'm more meant like there wasn't like a specific trigger for that. It would just yeah. be like such overwhelming. Overwhelming buildup, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's like, that's part of living with, you know, a mental health challenge is like, yeah. especially in a world where you're, you know, you're not like, you don't feel like you're allowed to talk about it or allowed to, you know, get the the help or the support that you need. It all becomes internalized. You know, you talked yeah. about hiding it that like, like I call like wearing this a mask, you know, and pretending um, we could get really good at that. Um, and it's, it's funny that, you know, not funny, haha, but like interesting that, you know, the number of performers that I know, number of artists or actors that I know that, you know, have a mental health challenge. And right. it's like, you know, you get so good at hiding and pretending and, you know, shutting off that part of you um, that it's like, it just lends itself to the skill set of being able to like perform and like mm -hmm. put on a happy face and put on this mask and pretend like everything's okay. If you or someone you know is experiencing a crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org for support via live chat. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, please call 911. Other resources are linked in the show notes. Yeah, speaking of putting on the mask, I didn't mention this part, um, but yeah, I would go, like I said, I would go in the bathroom for like 20 minutes, break down, and then I would come out and just look like, hey guys, what's up? You know, like nothing happened. And like, I remember when I finally did tell my best friend, my best friend from elementary school, we went to the same middle school. So we were friends for a long time. And I remember I did finally tell her some of the stuff that I was thinking and dealing with. And yeah. she was shocked. She was like, you always seem so happy. Like how, like, like completely shocked because that's the thing. Like I would go in and I would break down and stuff. But then when I was like actually in front of people, you know, it was, you could not tell. Couldn't tell. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then once high school came around, cause high school is when I started performing like like cash me if you can i got when i was in high school everything mm -hmm. um with the theater um close to my house then i started almost living like a dual life i guess you would say because you know i would go through school deal with all my stuff in school and then i would go on stage and and on stage it wasn't necessarily like a mask it was just it was a genuine escape for me so that was when yeah. i was it was like a genuine just release and I was happy and I was like, like I use the word invincible. I felt like nothing could hurt me. My thoughts couldn't mm. hurt me when I'm on stage. So it was like very like dual life that I was living for a while still kind of live for, you know, when I perform nothing else matters and 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it, it sounds like that's a really like healthy, positive escape for you. Like it's something that's enjoyable yeah. and not something that like the, the stress um, or pressure around is like intense for you. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes my, because part of my OCD is being a perfectionist with within myself. Sure. And that could be, that could be anything. It doesn't have to just be like straight lines. Again, that could be anything. So like with dance, even to this day, I still want to be so much better than I am. And when I'm in my studio practicing, it's very easy to get so frustrated and down on myself to where that can trigger breakdowns because I want to be, you know, a certain level. And that was the same with anything growing up. Like I, I'm a, I'm a huge science nerd and I actually self-taught myself quantum physics. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just, you okay. know, like quantum <laughs> physics, whatever. <laughs> So I started getting really into quantum physics and teaching myself. But then I would get frustrated that I wasn't um, as smart as like, let's say someone who had been studying it for like 12 years. And then right. I would get frustrated. And then I started like playing the piano. Like I did so, I, did, I'm, I have to always be productive. So I'm always learning new things. So then I started teaching myself how to play the piano. And then I would get frustrated because I wasn't playing the song up to what I thought was my potential to play the song. Meanwhile, I don't know how to play piano. I self-taught myself. So it's like I right. never gave myself credit. It would only be like because the perfectionist in me yeah. wanted to be where I wanted to be. Um, so that's yeah, a I, progress for me. <laughs> I, I that's that's really interesting, and um, and I'm curious because um, this is coming up a lot for me. Um, like what you're saying is really like um, resonating with me a lot, and mm -hmm. I'm wondering like how this comes up for you in relationships um, or. Like, so, so for me, like I grew up in, in a home in a family environment that was like pretty critical and, um, that was like, um, like we didn't deal with feelings, emotions, trauma well. And so there was like yelling and fighting and criticism and, um, and out of it, like I developed like very much this like type a perfectionist mm -hmm. personality um and it like similar to what you're saying like i always have to be doing um achieving productive or i feel lazy or i feel worthless or i feel like you know oftentimes like who i am and what i do um get like conflated right like yeah i it's not like I can exist independently of the work that I do or what I accomplish. It's like they're one in the same. They're right? one. Yeah. Uh, exact, exact same, exact same. <laughs> yeah. And, and I find, and I, so I'm, I'm curious for you um, having some of those like similar tendencies. Um, how does that translate to other people and like expectations of them? <laughs> um <laughs> I've had I've had some interesting relationships. No, I was I was really excited to get into a relationship. Um very like eager to get into one actually. And I had my first like boyfriend at 16 and I mean honestly, it really didn't affect it that much. I mean, I didn't I I don't remember 
did I? I don't think I did. Maybe I did. I think, yeah, my, yes, I did. My first boyfriend, I did kind of like briefly go over what I deal with just so he's like aware, like if I break down, this is why. <laughs> um, he didn't really understand. Yeah. He didn't really understand it. That was one thing that um, just wasn't compatible with us. He just could not understand it. Um, but as far as relationships as, as a whole, I mean, it really didn't prevent me from relationships or it didn't, it, it really didn't. I would say, um, the biggest thing for me, I'm in a relationship now of three and a half years and I'm, you know, very, very happy and have a pre-engagement ring right here with, with him. Nice. Um, yeah. And he's amazing. He is phenomenal. I'd say though, like the biggest thing that I find, and this might get a little bit personal, but I feel like it's important to share is that, um, so like with OCD, as well as with, you know, any other mental health problem, you're always trying to seek that like control because you don't have control over your own thoughts. Right. So, you know, that I think that's why, you know, I became anorexic so young because I can control my weight and I can control what I put into my body and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so like getting intimate has always been a really hard thing for me because I feel like once I let that go, then I have no control. Yeah. So so vulnerability, right? Yeah. So that was, that was really hard and still, it still can be really hard if I'm, if I'm in a bad place mentally, I, I cannot do anything like that because then I just feel like I lose all control. So yeah. that definitely has been a huge, a huge thing. Um, I just want to normalize that and, and like say that that's like, that's something that happens to a lot of people um, around intimacy and, mm-hmm. and that vulnerability um, with it. Um, so it, like, it takes a lot of, trust and it takes a lot of um you know care and understanding to be able to be in that place um for some people i I think especially people who have experienced um you know what what you've experienced what i've experienced so for what that's worth no yeah i i honestly didn't know if anyone else felt that way so that that does help because i would always like think like what's like what's wrong with me like don't like that's like part of relationship that's like what what you should do. And then I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't for a long time. I could not do it. It was just, I could not let that part of myself go. Cause then I felt like I had like nothing, if that makes any kind of sense. No, it, it totally does. And, um, and I think, you know, I, it's been interesting because I've had, um, I've had like a very different relationship, like kind of opposite relationship with with sex and, and intimacy where that's like, um, been very just very easy for me Mm -hmm. um something that like is like soothing connecting and um just um kind of like a default for me Mm -hmm. and you know now being older and having had you know some some major relationships and now being married understanding that like well that looks different for everyone and like my experience is not everyone else's experience and um, the way that people deal with mental health issues or trauma is, um, it, it's different, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. so 
like really the, what I'm trying to say here is like, there is no normal. There is yeah. no normal in relationships. There's no normal like sexual function or way intimacy looks. It's different for each person and it's different for each relationship. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, all in, all in all, though, it really, I mean, I, it helps because, you know, my boyfriend now, he is probably the most supportive person besides my mom that I know. He, you know, is he doesn't have OCD, but he is so empathetic and can try awesome. to understand. And that's just, that's just what more people like need is some empathy, you know, just try. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Well, and, and I think that's what like that's what being an ally and being you know a, a mental health advocate is is all about, right? Is like yeah. sharing stories, but also like being an example to people of like how to do that and how to be that. Um, like you don't have to have gone through OCD to be able to like put yourself in a a place of like may, maybe not fully understanding, but just like empathy of, you know, what someone else has experienced. And just, I think having someone like believe you and validate Mm -hmm. what your experience is, is, is huge, you know, just to be able to say like, Hey, like it's, it's okay. Like, I still love you. Um, like I love who you are and like, and that's okay. You know? Exactly. So, so I want to know, like, what was that turning point for you um you you shared a lot um which thank you by the way for sharing you know all of these um all these experiences um but what was that like what i like like to say like that aha moment when you're like hey this isn't working i've got to do something i've got to change something i'm gonna try to semi-condense this (laughs) um yeah. So let's see. What age was I? 16, 17, 17. Um, 17. So I was already now starting to like, per- I was performing, you know, shows and everything and lo- and honestly loving that. And at the time I was in a relationship and I mean, everything was, you know, everything again, externally looked great for me. But when I wasn't performing, I was so, I mean, I was so bad mentally so bad mentally. I would get, you know, my relief for two to three hours a night. And then it was just like the rest was hell. Mm. Um, and it, it was just, when I say hell, it was a mixture of that anorexia. Then it was a mixture of the relationship I was in that, um, um, with that intimacy and not knowing what was wrong with me with that. And then a mixture of all these obsessive thoughts of whatever they might've been at the time. You know, I don't remember all of them now, but there was a lot, there was a lot. And, sure. and then, I mean, I just, it was just, it was, a, it was just like finally like the, like a volcano just exploding, you know, cause it was just so much going on in my head that I just, I just like basically lost it. And then I just like, I, I, um, at age 18, right after my birthday, I, um, actually tried to take my own life hmm. and that was after that, like a month after that, I would say was my aha moment. Um, because obviously I did not succeed and I'm happy about that. 
but I saw, you know, firsthand what it did to everyone that I knew and everyone that I loved, especially like my mom and dad, you know, my dad never gets emotional and to see him get emotional like that was a lot. Um, And then just knowing what it did to the rest of my family, to my, my friends really didn't know a couple of my friends did. And then when they found out seeing what it did to them and everything and that was kind of the that was the aha moment there where I was like, okay, I'm never doing this again. I'm never gonna try mm-hmm. to do this again. Um, because this is not the answer. Clearly it's not. And so then after that, I was trying to think of, you know, other ways to just cope with what I'm feeling and everything. And I just finally came to the realization that I can't change my OCD as as hard as I want to and as as tempting as it is to go back in time and get rid of that part of my brain. um, I can't do that. And I can either, you know, continue on trying to fight it and fight it and fight it, or I can just learn to accept it, not like Mm. it, but accept it. And, and then move on, but move on from a point of, I accept that this is a part of my brain. So now how can I go about my life Mm. in the most productive, best way possible? Um, And that was my aha moment. That was when I, you know, again, not saying I love that part of my brain, but just that self-acceptance was so big for me. Because like yeah. when growing up, like from age, you know, like four to 18, I would always think, you know, if I could go back in time, like I wish I was never born, yada, yada, yada. And then really after, you know, that, um, that incident, when I finally, when I was like age 19, I would look back and I would say, no, I'm glad I was born. I'm glad I'm here. And I'm, yeah. and it just, it changed my whole mindset. It really did. It changed my whole mindset once I learned how to accept it and then move on from that point of acceptance. So that was that, that was definitely my my aha moment. Yeah, and and I think that that acceptance is is so important and and I and I think it's important to like make the distinction between like acceptance and like acquiescence. Like it doesn't mean that you're lying down and saying like Hey, well, this is just how things are, and it's never going to change. So my life is just going to be crap, or I just like I can't grow, or I can't exactly. work on these skill sets, or you know, have personal development. Um, accepting it is saying like, hey, like I've always wanted to have green eyes, right? Um, mm. And like getting to a point of like, yeah, I can wear contacts, or I can like you know wear things that bring out the green in my eyes, but like, I'm never going to have green eyes. Um, guess what? Like I can still go on and like have a, a, a great life. Right. And I can still like have nice looking eyes and that's okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, but like accepting like who we are as we are and understanding that that doesn't have to mean that we're like broken, damaged or yeah. can't, be you know successful or productive or have healthy relationships is like that's okay like mm-hmm. I, I love that I think that's that's really great so then like going from that like aha moment where you're where you're accepting who you are and you know what's part of you 
Um, how did you how did you turn that into a purpose? How did you become an advocate? Like, what did what did that look like? Yeah. Or what is, is that looking like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I with the acceptance, I I realized too because I kind of skipped over a few years, but like 16, 17, 18, 18, and then 19 is when I like actually started like doing a, a lot of things professionally. Like, you know, like I said, performing. I did some film mm. acting, I was in some um Amazon Prime TV shows and like all that, like I got into a lot and I did a lot. And, um, and like I said, self-taught myself quantum physics in, in that interim, self-taught myself piano in that interim, self-taught myself Spanish in that interim. Like I did a lot. And I realized too, after I like accepted it was that my OCD is a great motivator. <laughs> yeah. It can be a tool, right? It, exactly. Exactly. I and, hear that a lot with people with, with, um, with bipolar disorder. Yeah. Um, they talk about that, like, Hey, there's, there's a gift to this as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of, one of my favorite songs, the line is pain's a gift, it ain't a curse. So mm. anyway, um, <laughs> right I like yeah. That. Um, but I, I like finally with that acceptance, I realized, well, Hey, like this has also made me be as successful as I am too, because I was so you know, I always felt like I wasn't good enough inside my own head. So I had to be better than good enough. I had to be great enough on, on the outside. So I really started, again, not like saying I identify with it, but it definitely was a huge driver for me to do sure. a lot of that. And then from like 19 up until present, um, just honestly, just using it to my benefit, <laughs> using, you know, like instead of getting upset that I have to do all these things in, the, in a day, using it and saying like, look at all the things that I'm doing. Like, it's pretty cool. Cause I've, I've had days where I've had like four shows in one day and I bounce from like city to city doing the shows. Right. <laughs> like to me, that's so much fun. And, and, um, and then as far as like, like, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to like think how to word it. Cause there's like, there's so much I could say on this. Um, just learning how to, how to use it as a motivator instead of an, instead of an inhibitor was huge for me. And like me, yeah. And then made me appreciate what I did a lot more. Um, I like that, that, like that shift. I think that it's like two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. It's saying like, Hey, you know, I can look at all the negative things associated with this, or I can turn that coin over and I can say, Hey, there are some, there's some positive things about this. Right. Yeah. And there's, and I think like uh, we kind of touched on this earlier with that, like that self-criticism or, mm -hmm. you know, feeling like, you know, that, like that not enoughness or having to hide, um, you know, that I, I think like when we are like so focused on perfection or achievement um, that, we're not recognizing the positive, the good, the, you know, what is, what is great. Um, and only focusing on the negative or how can things be better or how can things improve? Um, then we're not truly present, right? We're not truly mindful because we're living in this, like, what if future iteration of what, what can be, or what we want to be 
instead of saying like, no, right now here, this is, this is good, yeah. you know? Um, and it's just, a, it's a slight shift in perspective, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still working on that a lot, really, in all honesty. So am I, P.S. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because like even the shows that I do book, I always like think, oh, I could be doing this instead. Like just, I don't know, like just always thinking I can do more and that does take me away from the present. So I'm really, I'm really trying to be better about it. And I, this year has been better than last year with, with the, sh with like the shows and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a constant, like extra weight on my shoulder for sure. Um, as far as becoming like a mental health advocate, really just, you know, throughout my years of performing, you know, again, I wasn't like always, I wasn't like very open about, you know, what I've been through, what I would, you know, mention, you know, that I've struggled with anxiety and stuff growing up and the amount of people that said the same was mind blowing. You know, there's so many people out there. And then, right. um, and then I'm trying to think that the turn of events that happened, I was, <laughs> um, I was like, just, I'm very, obviously very creative person. And I started thinking of this like storyline of mental health about like this girl, like kind of like a mixture of like drama, like, but almost like fantasy because you go into her head and you see the life, her life through her eyes versus what society sees. And I was like, just brainstorming about this idea mm. that I had. And then um, this was when I was into film acting a lot. Cause again, I, I do, I do both now pretty consistently. And um, my friend of mine said that a really big part about this industry is making your own content. So then I like took that idea and I'm like, I'm actually going to make a movie about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then it was like, once that happened, then I like, that was like the first step of me completely coming out on like social media saying, this is what I've struggled with. Like, this is mm. what it's been because everyone on social media, especially because I, I hate social media, by the way, but I use it because I'm a performer and I have to promote right. myself because of like course. I am, I am my brand, you know? So um, that's the only reason why I've used social media. So of course they only see the side of Jamie that's performing. So the side of Jamie that's really happy and in the moment right. and present. Right. So I came out, you know, on all my social media platforms with this huge, long, like novel of a, of a paragraph about this has been my life, you know? And, um, my first thought when I did that was I was currently, I was dancing at Bush Gardens at the time. My first thought was I'm going to get fired because <laughs> I thought they were going to, they're going right to think I'm unreliable or, or that, they were gonna, that's yeah. a real, yeah, that's a real fear, you know? Yeah. But it's like, it's sad. I shouldn't have to think like that. Totally. Um, but then once I, you know, posted that and started talking about my OCD more, I started realizing just how many people suffer in silence Yeah. and how sad that is. And then, you know, with my, with my movie idea, I started turning it into like a movement. And actually, ironically, my movement's called Clip of a Coin. <laughs> you know, you just mentioned for the like, there you go. point. Yeah, my movement is called that. Um, and then I created a support group on Facebook and people that I had known for years, you know, opened up in that support group about, you know, whether it was depression or PTSD or whatever it was, just opened up about 
stuff I had no idea about. And it was just really, it was nice to see people like trusting that and opening up and feeling and not feeling stigmatized. So then like all of that was just fueling like this, like, Hey, I need to, I need to help people because, you know, I know what it's like to be at the bottom of the bottom where you just feel hopeless and worthless. And like, there's no point in going on. So that just kind of just kept fueling my my passion to help people and talk about it because that's a huge thing. People are they're so scared to talk about it, which I don't blame them. I mean, I still get stigmatized all the time. I had yeah, of course. Yeah. I think one of the worst ones was I was at a photo shoot and the direct like the director of the photo shoot, her husband was there and I was having a moment. I don't remember why, but I was having a moment and the husband came up and like said, like, are you okay? And I was just like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I have OCD and I'm just freaking out about something. Like I just said something like nonchalantly like that though. But as I was crying and he just goes, oh, you have OCD? I was like, yeah. And he goes, oh, so you just like being tidy. What's wrong with that? And then walks away. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So yeah, it's like. What a jerk. I know, I know. It's like things like that though, where it's just like, we need to talk about it. We need to, because people now realize that, okay, there are these things called OCD, bipolar, schizophrenia, PTSD, yada, yada. But there's that lack of understanding of what that means. What that means. Like that. Yeah. You know, it's just like, like I often say, you know, those diagnoses are like a set of like common, uh, you know, symptoms um, or behaviors that like are grouped together. And we give them this name because we need to like, you know, contextualize it. We need to like understand what that means in order to approach it and to treat it. But like within that diagnosis is like a whole spectrum of things that people experience and like the stereotypes or the stigmas around them like are so unhelpful and in some cases really harmful because mm-hmm. they, they prevent people from getting the the support that they need, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I love that you are now becoming, you know, an ambassador and an advocate for this, you know, mental health conversation and being an ally to people. I think that's that's really amazing. Um yeah. so you're you're working on um this film project. Um, what is your, what is your vision for that? Can you share, like, what is, what does that look like? What is your hope with that? My hope is to, okay, so I'll, I'll explain a little bit of the synopsis. It is copyrighted, so I can explain some of the synopsis. I kind of already explained a little bit of it, but basically it's loosely based on my life. So like, you know, it follows around this girl who, um, you just, you see one day of her life and it's from society's point of view. So you see her as being popular getting good grades, having a boyfriend. Um, she's, she is a, a dancer as well, but not like a professional. She just like, you know, it's just a talented dancer. Um, so like loosely based on my life and, um, you see her go throughout her day and everything looks fine. And there are like some moments where like, she'll like, you know, kind of become withdrawn and, or like, you know, disappear for like five or 10 minutes and come back. But, you know, they don't really make anything of that. And then at the end of the day, um, she goes into her room and breaks down and ends up taking her own life. Hmm. And then the day repeats, but now it's all through her eyes. So now uh, you get that like direct insight 
of what she was thinking, what she was feeling, what she was going through. And you do see what made her withdraw. You do see what she did when she disappeared for five, 10 minutes. Um, like one example is, you know, in one of the scenes, she gets like a 95 or 96 on a test. And instead of thinking like, wow, I got an A plus, she's thinking, I couldn't get a hundred. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a failure. I missed this stupid question, a stupid mistake. Like what's wrong with me? You know, you, you get like that insight of like what it can be like living with that anxiety, that self doubt and yada, yada, yada. So, um, my vision with this is once the movie is filmed and produced, is to not only use it as a tool for people who are suffering to realize number one th- that they're not alone and number two to because then then like sorry the the last part of the film is the unfortunate reality that she did lose her life to suicide and you know her friends are just like and her family is like why didn't she talk to us like you know why didn't like we could have helped her and stuff like that so kind of again like um really encouraging people to you know, you don't have to open up about your deepest, darkest secrets, but, you know, just talk to someone. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling upset or something, just talk to someone, a friend, a family member, a professional, whoever, whoever you want to talk to. Um, so it's just encouraging that. But then it's also really trying to show and educate those who don't have a mental health problem to understand even just slightly what it's like to live inside the mind of someone who is suffering and yeah. what it can be like and how stressful it can be and how overwhelming it can be. And just kind of give an insight of, of what it's like and how it's not just a matter of snapping out of it. It's not just a matter of, oh, you have all this to be happy about. So why aren't you happy? Right. You know, so it's, it's, it's really used as a motivator and then an educational piece too. And That's great. Yeah, yeah. Where, where are you at in the, the production process? I did film a teaser trailer for it, which is being edited right now. Um, and right now I'm really just, I'm trying to raise the the funds and the awareness for the full length because I want to really, you know, this is such a sensitive topic. I don't want to have to do anything. So yeah. I want to, you know, so I'm, it's in the teaser trailers in post-production, but the entire film right now is just about raising awareness and raising funds and going around and talking about it just like I'm doing now. That's but, awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I, I wish you a lot of luck with the project. Um, it sounds yeah. like um, something that could be very powerful and, um, and and a real passion for you. So um, I, I really appreciate you, you know, being open and vulnerable and, and sharing your, your story with us and, um, you know, and, and bringing yourself to, to this. Um, I think it can be really easy to um, just get so focused on, um, on ourselves and our own stories and, you know, to be able to, um, step outside of that and look at like, Hey, how does this affect others? How can I use this to support others? Um, I think is really, really fantastic. And, you know, I just want to say, you know, for anybody out there who, you know, is feeling like they, they don't belong or feeling like they're not normal. If you identify, you know, Jamie's story or with mine or, you know, any of the others that you, you hear, um, at no stigmas, I just want you to know that you're not alone and that, um, there is help and there is hope for you. Um, and even if you can't believe that right now for yourself, um, I believe it for you. I know Jamie believes it for you and everyone else at no stigmas does. So, um, please keep moving forward and reach out and get the support that you need. For sure.
sure. Thanks again, Jamie. Thank you. This is Unsilent. Thank you for listening. Today's episode was hosted by Jacob Moore and produced by me, Eli Lawson, Lance Bordalone, John Panacucci, and the rest of the incredible No Stigmas marketing team. Special thanks to Jamie for sharing her story this week and being so courageous and open. You can find a link to Jamie's upcoming movie in the show notes. To go beyond the show, connect with us on social media or visit nostigmas.org to learn more about mental health topics. Please leave us a five-star review and share with others wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. New episodes of Unsilent come out every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Finally, remember that whatever you're going through, you don't have to do it alone. Be Unsilent. We'll see you next week.